Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So I'm very excited about the founder that we have today because I think that we're gonna be learning quite a bit on really polishing and getting to product market fit when you didn't even know that that was the direction to go. Building, scaling, dealing with COVID uh, challenges, you name it. So I think it's gonna be interesting and I don't wanna make our guest and wait any longer. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Rodolf Ardant. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alexander. Thank you for having me. So live growing up and being born in Paris, I mean, you moved quite a little bit. So tell us about how was life for you and how was that environment of, of jumping from one place to another? I was born in France, center of France, actually. I started uh, my childhood as Paris in Paris. And um, my parents, and particularly my dad, had an international career. So he moved from, a, he was working in a bank and was moving from countries to countries. So as a kid, I moved five years in Italy, then three years in Greece, and back to Paris, and gave me, you know, this will to uh, to, to travel, travel and live abroad uh, a lot. So my parents then get left back in uh, Tunisia, Morocco, but I stayed in Paris for my studies. I traveled, uh, I, I lived in India during my studies, then in New York, in the U.S. for um, uh, for my master's degree. I think it's a big part of my childhood, moving you know from place to place, uh, having to rebuild relationships every time. That's not something you like uh, as a kid, but then when you get back on all the things you learned and everything you discovered, it's something that uh, yeah shaped somehow my personality. Your personality and perhaps the way that that you are as an entrepreneur too. I mean, I've I've interviewed a lot of people and. And some of those founders, I mean, they did travel quite a bit when they were uh, younger. And perhaps that allowed you to be a little bit more comfortable with uncertainty, with maybe starting from scratch and all of those things that make human beings quite uncomfortable. So, so how do you think that perhaps it helped in shaping that entrepreneurial mindset and, and way of being? Yeah, potentially. I, I agree. I think, I think when, you, when you're traveling like that as a kid, you, you, you really had to rebuild everything every time <laughs> when one of, one of the skills you learn and you it's kind of a hard way to learn this but skills to adapt to your to a new environment so you know new language for example when <laughs> i remember being in greece even reading what needs to be rewritten because it's not the same letter there yeah i i think yeah this ability to to to, to go into ambiguity 
uh, and be okay with that just because you, you don't have any other choice as a kid. And, uh, and so it's part, it's part of who you are in the end. So in, in this case, I mean, in, in your own case, I mean, what got you into, into engineering? How, how did you develop that love perhaps for, for addressing problems? It's a question of mindset. So I, I, initially I was uh, always good at math. Uh, so all science uh, fascinated me, uh, math, physics, etc. Uh, as a kid. I uh, was quite a nerd, actually, and building things. When, when I entering an engineering school, uh, you know, the building of things, solving problem, uh, trying to find, you know, creative solutions to things that were, we didn't think that could, I mean, we, we could solve these things was something that always excited me. I remember all the different projects I was, uh, I was doing at school at that time with, uh, with friends where we were trying, for example, we we were into kitesurf and we were like, okay, can we, can we start drilling a, a fly that is, uh, that is better shaped or that uh, can be more performant? So trying really to identify the different problems and what we see and being excited about finding a way to solve them uh, is something, yeah, I, it's a strong driver for me. It's something, it's something that I really like in this entrepreneurial journey. Uh, not only with the product that you build to solve a, pro a problem for customers, but also because building the organization, building the company, building everything is like actually a new problem coming in uh, every time that needs to be solved. And that's, yeah, uh, that's what's, what's, what's I like being an engineer. And going more into, into problems and, and mindset. I mean, after, after school, you met your co-founder of your first baby, of your first company, which was Wasaik, you met him in school, and then you guys decided to go at it. So, so tell us about what was that process, how you guys encountered that specific problem that you were excited about, and then how you went to hey, let's let's go at it and let's let's bring this to life. <laughs> I think we made so many mistakes in this uh, in this adventure. The the first driver for us was really. It was very technical. It means that uh, we were most excited by working on technology and solving technology problem in the way to code, you know, uh, uh, at that time, rather than just the solution that we built. Uh, this was one of the key mistakes that we, made, uh, that we made back then. So that was this excitement, you know, to, to be able to work on technology that you, that you were going to master and to build a framework around this that would be super exciting as, you, you know, computer engineers. And the first mistake we made there is during two years, we, we built a very, very strong technology, but that was actually not solving a business problem. Uh, and we, we learned that the hard way when, okay, we, we had this technology, we had this fantastic product that we built, but there was no value. No, no one was going to pay for that. We're not solving something that was essential for people. Uh, um, and, and on this journey, we iterated over three business models, but uh, uh, and every time increased this capacity to really understand, okay, what's what's what people want actually, what problem we're solving for them, uh, are they going to pay for that? Is there a business actually, and technology being a mean uh, and not the end in itself? I think that was the the main learning for this first entrepreneurial journey. So for for this journey, I mean, what what was exactly the the business model? So on the first one, the idea for us was like, okay, we, we, we are spending a lot of time uh, uh, on the internet and uh, most of the time we are navigating into the same website or the same pieces of the website. So, oh, uh, is it possible to be the technology that 
allow us to, you know, to, to, to cut a piece of this website and to aggregate it into uh, our, uh, a page where you go and you have a, a direct view towards these this, this seats without having to go in them. And so it was all about how we can cut part of website and keep their uh, way of working in a separate environment. And the, the technological challenge on that was, was very interesting for us. In the end, uh, it was like solving something was, was not very essential. Uh, we, we, we thought it could be very useful when you have a lot of you know, bookmarks and oh, we could solve bookmarking with that, but there was clearly no business model. Initially, we were thinking, okay, but maybe you know, uh, we can share revenue with this website when someone is looking at an ad uh, uh, from a piece on, uh, but there is clearly no business. Right? It, was, it was a lot of inexperience from, uh, from us during this time. And we tell a shame but telling this story, but technology was great, but it was totally useless. And then the iteration we made when we, we understood that actually it's not going to be a business for us uh, was starting to be more, uh, more, more, yeah, more, more business oriented. The problem we solved in the end was, okay, all, all people can access uh, part of the internet that they uh, love and they, 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 they repeatedly go. And so what we start building then was uh, a search engine based on Google that was going to dig into your favorite website. Uh, so you can really find very easily what you, what, what you found before. And there was a business model based on advertising. And, uh, and it started to work well, starting to see great traction from customers, business model working well with the partnership with Google until Google banned us. Um, so it was a tough time uh, uh, on, on the second iteration. And we rebound a third time where, okay, it's thinking, okay, but no, what we can do is we know, we know how to match a product or a service with, with a search intent actually. And we build a technology that was able to go to advertiser asking them, okay, give me a product that you want to advertise and we're going to find all the search intents for them and we're going to automate all the lead generation from search engine. And this last project took us 18 months to build a technology, a product that worked uh, where we had customers with a strong traction and we got acquired by um, a French media group called SoloCall. It did very well, but the learning curve we had across these three iterations was, was for me, was the most valuable at the time. So tell us about the acquisition. I mean, how did that come about? I came at, at a point, we understood that if we were to grow this company, uh, we had to change the DNA. So we were entering the advertising space, basically, and we had to change the DNA of the company from a more techie one to a sales one. And we knew nothing about sales. Uh, and at that time it was not something we wanted to start building with microfounder. So we, we started to think, okay, if we want to really exploit the product and the technology we've built, we need to find potentially a company that got this sales mindset and then going to be to, to, to use this uh, uh, in a much uh, extended way and a much powerful way. And we started discussing with our customers, actually the ones that were using the most our technology and you know starting to say, okay, maybe, maybe there could be a merger here that can, be, that can be useful for you. And actually we were surprised again uh, from our own experience there that that was a strong interest for them to actually acquire this technology. And then we stopped and we started changing our strategy saying, okay, actually, oh, how can we sell? And 
And, uh, and it ended super well uh, with this uh, customer that we had, which is a big, you know, uh, French and European um, uh, media group called Solocall, uh, making, making a very good bid for, uh, for, for, for the company we've built. For you, obviously, this was the opportunity to really see the full cycle of a business. So from idea all the way to exit. So I guess uh, I'm sure after this, you had quite a bit of time to reflect. And while you were reflecting, I mean, what was that perhaps those three key lessons that you knew you would definitely apply to your next rodeo? I think the first one is all about, you know, this product market fit saying, okay, let's focus on building something that really people want and where you have a business. Uh, so it gave me this shift. It sounds obvious when telling it right now, but I, and particularly a technical entrepreneur, uh, um, this is a mistake that many, many are doing. Uh, you know, thinking that there is the idea, but not really looking into the business validation of their idea and focusing most of their energy towards this. So this, you know, this road to product market fit, to understanding that, ah, okay, I am really solving a problem and I've got the right solution to solve this problem and brings, and, and people are using this solution and people want to pay for this solution uh, uh, and for this product, uh, is it where has a founder when you start needs to spend 100% of your bandwidth. This is the first thing. Second thing, at the beginning, we were on this first company, we were a lot, you know, into, uh, okay, we need to get known, uh, we need to participate to a lot of events, etc. And was it was clearly not anything in terms of goal or outcome oriented. It was not going about learning more about customers, learning more about the value we provide them. It was just about kind of starting to build a brand in an ecosystem of startups, which is a total nonsense. And uh, this is time that is clearly not uh, worth spent, and particularly at the beginning uh, uh, um, of, of the journey. If you're not learning, if you're not, if not something that's making progress on your business, that's not something that you want to do. The third one is understanding that once the idea is there, finding cash and finding the right investors are not so hard. Uh, I didn't know nothing about, you know, uh, raising capital in this first business. It was like impossible for me, you know, saying, okay, oh, 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 this would work. Oh, 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 you structure a deal. Uh, it's going to be, it was like a very, very big thing uh, at that time for us. And actually it was not. Uh, so finding money when you've got the right idea, finding the right partners that can finance your idea, in particular in Europe, it was in Europe. It was 15, day, 15 years ago. So at that time, that was the, the you know the capital environment was not what it is today. It was much harder, and particularly in the early stage, to find capital. There was a big gap there, uh, uh, but still, uh, finding money was something that was not so hard, uh, and uh, it changed my way when I was building a new product or a new idea on, okay, actually you can get resources fast is, is, if you pitch well your, your vision and the problem you're solving to be able to build, you know, a product with a professional quality that's, uh, that, that, that you want to build and is going to reduce the time uh, to, uh, of learning from this product market fit uh, uh, road. So obviously after the acquisition happened, 
with basically SoloCal Group, uh, really taking this in under the umbrella. You, you stayed there for, for a little bit, for over a year. Uh, and then after this, basically you were kind of like, uh, you did a little bit as the role on the operation side for a startup. And then you also did a little bit of uh, being part of a startup studio. But this was really the segue into your your latest and biggest baby. So, uh, so tell us about that segue and how all this incredible idea of Spendesk really got incubated. That's a good one. So when we got acquired by this company, which was a big company, like 10,000 employees, something like that, I took, you know, the, the, the shock of the process of a big corporation that I, I didn't know. And I didn't like it at all. I think I made a mistake there. I stayed so long because I had, you know, part of the deal was on an earnout, so I stayed for the money, and I think I should not have, not because the money was not worth it, but just because time is the only thing that matters. And when you you're not progressing or not learning and you're not developing yourself, actually, you're losing you're losing a, a, an important time, and this is worthless. Uh, but then I, I finally decided to to, to leave. Uh, I wanted to rejoin, uh, you know, a more agile world and was super interested. So in my first entrepreneurial journey, I, I saw a lot of starts. So all this road to product, to getting to product, a uh, product to market and, and this product market fit. So I was very interested about, okay, now that you've got a product market fit and you start scaling the team, uh, uh, oh, it looks like, uh, uh, what skills do you need to have? Or you start, you know, the hub phase of the, of the, of the startup. Uh, and I joined Drivey when, the, so it's a peer-to-peer car rental marketplace. Uh, there, what post-series A, uh, they were starting to build their uh, their team, internal expansion, etc. So starting to get this ramp of the of the up stage. Uh, and I was joining, leading the uh, the operations there. So uh, actually making making the business model still. And when I was there, I had finance in my scope, and I'm a big believer, you know, of decentralized organization, when things go fast, when people are empowered uh, to get the job done uh, um, in, a, in, in, you know, in a trust environment. Uh, this is something that you have mostly when the business are small and when business starts to grow and bring some complexity, which is tough. But I, I, you know, I, I'm a big believer of this flat organization when you've got a lot of creativity and people can really uh, you know, impact uh, uh, all the business with their own decision. But on the finance side, uh, as we started scale, uh, as we started to grow, it was a total chaos. It was a total chaos because you had no, no predictability towards the uh, spending on your company. Uh, uh, it was impossible. Problem of security, uh, problem of compliance of spend. So at some point, it was like, okay, uh, stop. We need to structure ourselves. We need to be more disciplined. We need to make some process in place. And I started to do uh, something that I really hated. I, I really started to centralize things, and it was like, oh, your 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 petty process in place that you would have hated if you were in the teams. It was super, super frustrating. So I start thinking, okay, but I'm the only one. Is this, you know, is this lack of agility in finance? You know, this this bureaucratic process that take place. Is this something that needs to be done, or is it something that, you know, you cannot control as you need as the company grows? It needs to happen, uh, but it's not bringing any value in the business in the end. Uh, and it was a frustration. I start to think, okay. Is there a way to solve that? Uh, if I were to solve that, what 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 needs to be done? If we were to allow people to access the company money, for me, 
on the finance side, having a high level of control without to have to, you know, to make tedious tasks to manage this complexity. How does that look? And and I start I started to think about this problem, and I started to interview their finance leader that have the same frustration uh, and how they could automate their job and how they could give more agility into their team. I started to think on a potential solution why on how we could you know put this level of control, this level of compliance inside the payment method themselves, uh, if we could start building a solution on that. And uh, I started to envision a potential solution there. So I, I, I wanted to explore. And that's the moment where I met the guys at, at eFounders. Uh, and I was thinking about this idea. And I was also thinking about, OK, but you, you, you started your first company. So you know, you know the, the level of resilience, the level of energy that entrepreneurship has. So personally, why, why do you want to do it? Uh, what, what, what's the game in that uh, for you? And personally, I came back to, okay, if I, if I want to restore a business, I want to, I had two clear goals in mind. If, okay, let's, let's try this time to make it something that can be very impactful, that, that can be very big. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to succeed, but I want that the problem that I was going to solve, that's something that could apply to many, many different business or to impact many people. And the second one was, okay, but if I build this one, I really want to see it in the long term. I want to build a great company, you know, a company where every day I'm very, I'm very happy to go to work for and that the people around me are going to remind a great part of their professional career. And so thinking on that, I, I met the guys at eFounders. So eFounders is a startup studio specialized in B2B SaaS uh, located in Paris. And, and these guys was a clear answer to me on how oh, I could, you know, really focus my time and 100% of my time on learning my customers and build a, a product of high quality uh, because they were providing me with the resources for that, that could, uh, uh, you know, and making fast these iterations of learning towards the market that we have and the problems we were solving. Uh, to, 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 to accelerate this goal number one, understanding if the problem we were solving was the right one and if it could start to be big. Uh, so it was a perfect partnerships together and they were working on a project where they, they, they could you know, provide people with virtual card in the company so they could buy online without uh, asking for their managers. And it was, it was a clear you know, way for me to say, okay, that's a really good way to start. Actually, it starts solving the problem on a particular use case. It's not the vision I totally have, so we can extend this later, but for now, it could be a right MVP for us. And we decided to partner to, to start building this company and solving this problem. So then how did you go about building it and solving the problem? What happened next? So we started from this white page uh, with this vision on, okay, oh, oh, we can access, uh, can give access to people to the company money, uh, something that, you know, so emotional, uh, so difficult to trust with, and, uh, you know, uh, helping finance team to set up the right process where they start to be totally hassle-free from all the tedious tasks of, uh, you know, reconciliation, controlling payments, uh, bookkeeping, etc. And the first year was fully dedicated into building a first product uh, that had the traction that could solve the problem. And on that, we had I think we had three haha moments uh, in this story. The first product we shipped was all about solving, you know, online payments at work. But to start using this product, you had to fund an account 
on on spendesk so basically the first prospects uh, the first customers uh, if, if you're picturing uh, you need to picture myself going to see these people i didn't know and telling them hey understanding the problem with them and they had and saying hey maybe i've got a solution for you but to test the solution you have to wire 10k on this account uh, and we did not have terms of use etc so it was like uh, you know kind of a you know uh, act of faith for them just on me just to say yeah it's the the solutions you provide seems to be uh, very interesting but uh, and we're going to to trust you with with our money on that um and that was the first aha moment for us saying okay actually the problem we want to solve for them is worth for them spending the time and not risking but putting some money on a you know an obscure account for an obscure company uh, starting to solve this problem the second one was when our first customer started to use our product, uh, we we saw the usage of the product grow and grow fast week after week, meaning they were inviting more and more users from their company uh, on Spendesk and they were spending more and more money week after week on Spendesk, meaning that the first use case they had in mind were really extending into other process in their company. So that was a very, very, very good uh, signal for us. And the third one, all these first customers, I was not charging for them. I was really wanting to test the usage first, understanding that the problem we were solving was the right one and that the solution we have been building was the right one. And so it was all about, okay, uh, what's the value we provide them? Are, are they going to pay for that? And at that time, we were around 100, 100, 100 businesses on Spendesk uh, using it. And we, we shipped our first pricing iterations, um, you know, as engineers, not, not sales guys, so always asking ourselves, is the value there or not? Uh, and, uh, uh, and that was a good surprise in this, you know, migrating all our customers from free to paying, uh, we didn't have a churn. So the value we pro we started to, actually during this year, we started to have a business. We had, we had a product that people wanted to, wanted to test, that people really used, uh, and then was really willing to pay for. Uh, and that was when we incorporated the company and that's the first day of Spendesk. So then let's talk about, just so that the people that are listening really, really understand it, what ended up being the business model? How do you guys really make, make money today with Spendesk? So Spendesk is a spend management platform. So we allow finance team to set up a process in the company where they've got full visibility and control uh, towards what the team is spending, whatever the payment method can be, or whatever the use case can be. If you spend in the office, but out the office, if you need to, to, to pay your supplier, you need to pay by card, etc. Uh, our business model is really SaaS, so it's a monthly subscription for our customers, which is based on the, uh, you know, it's a tiered plan, uh, classical uh, SaaS business model. So in terms of, uh, I mean, obviously you guys needed some money for this. How, how much capital have you guys raised today? So we've raised 55 million euro of capital in the past four years. Got it. So that's probably a little bit over 60, 60 million dollars. Uh, but in this case, I know that the seed round, you know, was a little bit of a hiccup, maybe because investors didn't really understand so much the company. Is that right? So we had, we had these first customers loving our product uh, and using it. But when I was, um, so for the seed round, I, I went to, I started to go to venture capitalists, uh, early stage ones, uh, pitching the idea and showing them the product, etc. But it was, it was really a misbelief about uh, on them about, okay, but it's not going, 
finance team. So you've got you've got early early customers, but finance team they don't want they're not going to move on that. And as soon as they start to be processed, they're not going to change the way they were doing things. Uh, and yeah, and I, I remember spending three months uh, nonstop pitching new investors, pitching the ID. Uh, and getting you know negative feedback and it's, it's tough because as an entrepreneur you see the product is working and you believe in it and uh, yeah and the, the market is not there uh, on the investment side so it, it, I remember it was a tough time uh, so what, what we decided in the end is say okay okay it's, maybe maybe this money should not come from VC and come back from the third lesson on this first company so let's try to find money elsewhere and and we went actually at first on our customers saying hey uh, we want to develop this company. Is this something that interests you to invest in it? And our first customers were really they were founders of our company. They were entrepreneurs saying, yeah, actually, 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 what you guys are doing is just fantastic. So we want to be part of it. And it was my first business angel. And from them, from their network, we raised 1.5 million euro in three to four weeks, which was I mean, amazing compared to the time I was spending in like, pitching VC uh, at this early stage. That's amazing. So it's it's amazing how every every round for for you guys has been different. You know, for example, the the Series B was not so much of a hiccup. It was more of a discussion internally. So tell us about this. Yeah, exactly. So after after the seed, one year after we were around 1.5 million era, I remember having a discussion with Index Ventures, uh, which is a uh, uh, and. Uh, Seduced by the team, seduced by the product, seduced by the early traction, they, they led our Series A uh, and so joined the board. Uh, it was in 2018. And uh, for the Series B, it was, yeah, it was, it was quite fun for us. It's, uh, we, we were not raising money at that time, but the metrics and the traction on the business was really, really outstanding. Uh, and I remember asking, asking the board saying, look, we don't need the money right now, but uh, if we want to further accelerate, maybe we should we should start raising another round. However, we are not there yet. We are not on the you know classical metrics of a Series B uh, in the SaaS business that investors could expect. We are not there yet. We didn't have any you know predictable acquisition motion. Uh, uh, we are still low in point of IRA. But I, so I tested the idea with them, and they told me, you know, you know what, you just need to test the market. So make start making a deck, uh, telling the story and come back to us when you've got so to, to take our feedback. And I remember going, uh, 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 so presenting to uh, index partner board uh, and the end of my presentation saying, hey guys, so what do you think? Is the story compelling, et cetera? And they told me, all right, Rodolphe, you, actually you don't need to look for another investor. We want to preempt this round again. Uh, and this, this, is, this, is, this is the conditions that we have. And it was a fantastic term sheet uh, uh, at the end of this meeting. And they, they put 35 million in the Series B uh, of the company. That's amazing. So just for the people that are listening, to get an idea on the size of the company today, I mean, anything that you can share around maybe like number of employees or anything else? Yeah, we are a team of 240 people. We've got three offices in Paris, in Berlin, in London, and also a small office in, in San Francisco today. Last year, we were 120, so double the size, size of the team. We are serving around 2,000 customers today in Europe, uh, mainly. And yeah, the, the future is pretty bright for us. That's good. Very nice. So imagine if you go to sleep tonight and you wake up five years later in a world where the vision of Spendesk is fully realized. What does that world look like? It's a world where, uh, you know, 
<laughs> payment at work is solved. So where you have a great experience when you need to spend your company money. I think that no one today can say they are happy when they, you know, in the professional environments when they need to spend the company money. I'm talking about expense reports. I'm going about, you know, tedious process to get uh, validation, to submit invoices, to get paid when you have no traceability on that. I'm talking about, uh, you know, all the data entry work that you need to make in terms of reconciliation uh, or, or to give the, the data that finance team needs to have to make the right payment allocation. So in five, in five years from now, I'm fully believing in a workplaces where people can be trusted and empowered with the company money without jeopardizing uh, 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 the, the, the capacity of the business to control their costs. A world where all this flow from, can I actually pay to, uh, uh, how can I pay? And then to bookkeeping all this expense, it can be fully automated and with, you know, the right level of granularity data that can bring much more efficiency in the analysis on where the money of the company is going. So this is this is the world we are designing. That's amazing. And obviously, this is not your first rodeo. This is the second time around. And, and I guess now you are armed with a ton of lessons learned along the way. So one question that I typically ask the guests on the show is that if you had the opportunity to go back in time, and maybe you were in school still, you know, thinking and talking with your, you know, co-founder of what will be your, your first company. What would, what would you guys want to do and what would you launch? No, I mean, given all the knowledge that you have now, if you were able to go into a time machine back and, and have a chat with that younger Rodolf, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to yourself before launching a company and why? It's a good question. I think it comes back to... To, to the thing we learned on this first iteration is about, about really understanding the problem you want to solve and how you can build a business out of it. But if I could back, you know, could get back this, all these years before I would really try to educate myself and to understand how, how internet could, and technology through the web could actually the power services that bring so much, so so high value to people that I didn't understand at that time. I mean, it's a, it's amazing eh? if if all the lessons that one learn, you know, like when, especially during the the bad times, because people typically don't learn so much from from success successful events. I I would say, but but in any case, Rodolf, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Ah, you can always uh, send me an email at rodolf at spenders.com or just ping me on LinkedIn. I always answer. Amazing. Well, Rodolf, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you, Alejandro. It was a pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember, that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.